0: Today on Living Truth Radio, Pastor Michael Lance finishes up Genesis chapter 47 with part three of Blessing in Egypt. In today's message, an ailing Jacob asks Joseph to make him a special promise in his final hours. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and we are supposed to give the blessing even to those that we struggle with. But if you have not invested in your spiritual life, you have very little to give, and you're not gonna be apt to be as bold or to speak the word or to get engaged with your spiritual gifts, but Jacob had a blessing to give, and I think partly because Jacob was certainly um, overwhelmed by how, God, how good God had been to him. Lifting up his hands, says one writer, at the full height of his stature without one preliminary word of salutation, or gesture of compliment to the king. The old man pours out his soul in prayer, asking God's blessing on the royal head, and in God's name pronouncing the customary blessing of Abraham's house and seed. What did he say? What did he pray? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. This would come out later in the book of Numbers. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Did he pray that? Look at the next chapter. Look at chapter 48, look at verse 14. As Israel is now getting ready to die and he would live another 17 years as we learn, Israel 48:14 stretched out his hand 48:14 he stretched out his, hand, his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, his left hand on Manasseh's head. These are Joseph's sons. Crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What did he say to Pharaoh? I think we have a pretty good idea, don't we? I think he called, I think he invoked, I think he called upon the name of the living God and I think he prayed over the Pharaoh. And I wonder what kind of boldness we would have. I think if we, would we be dazzled by the gold and the alabaster cups and the servants? Or would we say, this man is just a man. That's all he is. He may be called the Pharaoh, but he's just a man and he needs the living God just like anybody else does, amen? See, we Christians We should be a little bit more bold. We should not be impressed with the world. Let me ask you, what can the world really give us? Do you know in Isaiah chapter 19, and you can just write this down for your notes, don't have time to go there. Isaiah chapter 19, uh, God calls Egypt my people. Some people think that that's day of the Lord, and last day stuff, but there's some evidence that throughout the history of Egypt, there was a turning to monotheism, to the one God, even though a lot of them did not want to admit it, that there was something happen in the land of Egypt. Could it be, could it go back to a time when a man named Jacob or Israel blessed the Pharaoh? Could it be the influence of Joseph in the land of Egypt, could it be that your company would change, your your family would change, your community would change if you just would say, "Lord, use me here." I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make false distinctions between Sunday and Wednesday afternoon or wherever I am. Use me. The Pharaoh said to Jacob, <laughs> to Jacob, Jacob, Yaakov, verse eight. He said, "How old are you, dude?" That's a loose translation, but he said. How many years have you lived? Now, sometimes what would happen in these cultures is that the older would automatically bless the younger. Maybe that's part of the reason why Pharaoh acquiesced. But Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning, New King James NIV pilgrimage, are 130. I'm 130 years old. By the way, the Egyptians, in the Egyptian literature, they said the ideal old age was 110 How many of you are hoping that that would be the ideal old age, 110? Well, anyway, he's 130. But notice what he says. He says, the the, the 130 years have been few and unpleasant. (laughs) The NIV says, few and difficult. Even though uh, God's done incredible things in Jacob's life, he still still kind of captures his life as few, Few years and unpleasant years. He didn't, he, he didn't know how long he was going to live, but he didn't think he was going to make it to the years of Abraham and Isaac. These have been difficult days, nor have they attained the years of my father's lived during the days of sojourning. Jacob describes himself as a pilgrim passing through, and he says, my days have been difficult. Think about his difficult days. He ran from his brother Esau, ran to Haran, He had to deal with Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban lied to him and ripped him off, and that was a hard 20 years. He had his pain, his share of pain and difficulty, and he was often a wanderer. He uh, had to flee Mesopotamia, deal with Laban's deception. His daughter Dinah was raped. His two sons ended, ended up killing every male that was connected with the perpetrator. He lost his beloved Rachel as she gave birth to Benjamin. Um, he thought he had lost his eldest son, Joseph, probably his favorite. So many things that went on in his life. But he described himself as a pilgrim, and even if your life's been difficult, look, the best is still yet to come, amen? So he he had had tough times, but he, he said, look, I'm still going to give the blessing. And this is verse 10. Jacob, double blessing. Now he blessed Pharaoh and he went out of his presence. He shared. They went back and forth. And Jacob gave the blessing. And so Joseph settled, verse 11, his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses. This is... The uh, the land of Ramses is the later name for the area of Goshen. Ramses is the name that's used for the pharaoh in that famous film I mentioned earlier. As pharaoh had ordered. And Joseph provided his father, verse 12, and his brothers, all his father's household with food, according to their little ones, however many was in the house. There was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe. So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh had to be a pretty happy camper with Joseph. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food, for why should we die in your presence for our money is gone? And Joseph said, give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. And they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year, verse 18, had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? buy us uh, and our land for food. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. This is now selling themselves into servitude to, to the Pharaoh to survive. So give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph, verse 20, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon the land. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. So Joseph nationalized the land, uh, just a pause here after 22, and the livestock, and the Egyptians became tenant farmers, something known as smurfs. I'm just kidding, it's... It's actually serfs, S-E-R-F-S, but I thought after that long reading you might need a little bit of attempted humor. Anyway, the Pharaoh was very happy with what Joseph was doing, and incredibly, the people are gonna be happy too. You have to remember that in famine-like conditions when there's nothing left, the people didn't really care if they owned a pink slip for the land. What they cared about is where their next meal was coming from. So here's Joseph's shrewdness again and he's, he's buying up stuff for the Pharaoh. The people are still working the land but basically now they are tenant farmers to the Pharaoh. What's more, Joseph said to the people, 23, behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you that you may sow the land and at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for those of your household, and ask for your little ones, as food for your little ones. So they, they said, Notice how grateful they are. They said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, according to the time this was written, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, only the land of the priest did not become the Pharaoh. So Pharaoh basically got twenty percent flat tax, if you will. Now, if you look at this, some people have written on this and they say, well, Joseph is, he's not being very nice. Joseph is not living in a Western capitalistic society, folks. He is a viceroy for the Egypt. And you could say he was being shrewd. He wasn't mistreating the people, but Pharaoh was definitely gaining from what was happening. And some people have even said that Maybe the slavery in Egypt, a book that came out many decades ago, the slavery of the Hebrews to the Egyptians is God's payback for what Joseph did here. No, it's not. That's ridiculous. Joseph is not, was not really doing anything wrong other than the people had had stuff to trade and this is kind of how it was and people would sell themselves into servitude to pay off debts and stuff like that. And this is what occurred. One writer says, Joseph's actions cannot be measured by the moral standards that the Hebrew Bible, especially the prophetic tradition, has inculcated in Western civilization. This is uh, Nahum Sarna. Rather, they must be judged in the context of ancient Near Eastern world, the ancient Near Eastern world, by whose norms Joseph emerges here as a highly admirable model of a shrewd, successful administrator. Nonetheless, a moral judgment on the situation is subtly introduced into the narrative by shifting the onus of responsibility for the fate of the peasants from Joseph to the Egyptians themselves. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org, click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. The peasants initiate the idea of their own enslavement, verse 19, and even express gratitude when it's implemented. They were not upset with Joseph. And so now, the contrast between the people of Egypt, their situation, and the people of Israel, and I'll just say this to you, if you add up the tax that you pay right now between sales tax and tariffs, and what you pay to the feds and the state, I think that most of you would be happy with the 20% tax rate, don't you? I know people have been trying to push the flat tax rate and all that, but here's the contrast. Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen. We see what was happening with the Egyptians. Now here's the Hebrews. And they acquired, while everyone was selling to Pharaoh, they, Israel, acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. They acquired, they became numerous. In the book of Exodus, the very next book, They are so fruitful and increase greatly that the Pharaoh that did not know Joseph raises up and he wants to destroy them because he's fearful of their multiplication. They've grown so much, they've prospered in the land of Egypt. Do you know that conservative estimates right now of the number of Christians in China are at least 100 million? There are Christian organizations that are saying there are 200, no, not. I don't think it's millions, is it Millions? Yeah, it is millions. There are about two hundred million Christians in China right now, under communist governments and persecution. The church is flourishing. Where do you grow the most when everything is cool and easy and lax in your life? No, and and even though there was kind of a cushy period of time for a little bit, they actually grew in a time of persecution in the land of Egypt, grew to huge numbers. Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, John 15, 2, he, my Father, takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may, what? Bear more fruit. Anybody being pruned lately? It hurts to be pruned, doesn't it? Uh, those who are work in this area, they, there's some things they call the, what is it called, the suckers? The branches that try to suck the life out of the plant, they have to actually cut off the suckers. I'm not joking when I say this. And uh, this is how your Christian life is. You got Some things have to be cut away that are sucking the life out of you. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, 28. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Do you think he could have imagined another 17 years of life in the land of Egypt. And by the way, we have nothing that it was hard. I think he got to kick back and enjoy his family. And there was actually growth in this time of his life. He got to see incredible stuff before his eyes in the land of Goshen. And when the time of Israel to die drew near, you know, unless the Lord Jesus comes in our lifetime, everybody has this appointment. And, you know, I don't think that anybody in this room is gonna make it to 147. So our years on this planet are not that long. And Jacob, this is very rare in the Bible, by the way. When, when the Bible speaks of people dying, it says, and he rested with his fathers. There's not a lot of detail given in a lot of death situations. Some, but not a lot. But here we're gonna see a deathbed experience. This closes the chapter. The time for Israel to die drew near. This is Jacob with his new name. And he called his son Joseph and he said to him, Please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please, here's his deathbed request. Please. Do not bury me in Egypt. And he made him take an ancient oath. We saw this way back when Abraham was uh, sending out Eleazar. And Lynn, you reminded me way back in that study, before I could say the word, because the study was over, that Eleazar actually means God is my help, which I think is beautiful. And Eleazar was sent out by Abraham, Abraham, And he'd taken an oath, and the grabbing of the thigh was an oath on the future posterity of a family. You swear on my future children that you will do as I've instructed. And so here's what happens. He says, please don't bury me in Egypt, verse 30. But when I lie down, if you have the NIV, it says, when I rest with my fathers, you shall carry me, that is my body, out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, Joseph said, I will do as you have said. You know, he's getting ready to die and as he's getting ready to die, he says, I don't want to be buried in Egypt. Move my remains to the promised land. Why would he say that? Why would he care? Because this, my friends, is a statement of faith. It's a belief that the God who promised that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would fulfill that promise. And by the way, to be gathered to your fathers or to rest with your fathers is language which many scholars say doesn't just speak of your burial site. To be gathered to your people means to go to be with them. David said, I can't be with him. He can't, that child that died can't be with me. I will go, what? To be with him. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Here's a good illustration. I heard this from another teacher. He said, look, when your body gets old, it's kind of like, think about, think of it this way. It's kind of like when you're driving a car and let's say that you're, you total your car. Some of you can really relate to this. You've totaled a car. So it goes off to the junkyard and it, you have to discard that car, But let's say you walk away from the accident. Your car is totaled, but you're okay, but your car goes to the junkyard and your car is gone. It's totaled, unsalvageable. That's what's going to happen one day with your body. Your body is going to, not the junkyard, but it's it's going to a place of rest. And you will be gathered to your people. You're going to walk away from your body one day. To be absent from your body... That's what the, the verse says. We quote it all the time. You're gonna be absent from your body one day. You're walking away from the car, baby. And you're gonna be present where? With the Lord. That's what it means to be absent from the body is to be, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be present with the Lord. You're just gonna get a new car. Amen? Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Ten. Fast. Comfortable. Sleek. <laughs> All right, full stop. <laughs> Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, Job 19, 26, I shall see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he lives. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. And then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. If you want to cross-reference Hebrews 11.21 in the great hall of faith, don't have time there to go there. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob had a deathbed experience. And would you look at verse 31? It says, he what? He ended his life, if you will, in worship, um, I don't know how many people could end their life, and we know that he's going to do a little prophecy and stuff. But will your life be ended? Will will it come to an end in worship? I sure, hope so. Because when you close those eyes, if you are a Christian, you are going to wake up, and you better get ready to worship. Will I dance when I am before him? Will I be able to even speak at all? I can only imagine what that day is going to be like. Like when I worship my king. He ended his life in worship. You know, it's not how you start, but it is how you finish. And I pray you would finish well. This is my final thing for tonight. And I want to read a personal message from Darlene Martin. This is a record of the memorial service of Dr. Walter Martin, one of my great heroes. He died... In 1989, I think he was 60 years old. His wife came up to the podium and read the following words. On the morning of June 26, 1989, Dr. Walter R. Martin, founder and president of the Christian Research Institute, died peacefully at his home in San Juan Capistrano, California. And I just want to pause here for a second and say that um, we have two memorial services this coming weekend. One for Clemente on Saturday morning and one for Jim Gromas on Sunday afternoon. And please, if you can be part of those, please do. A memorial service was held for Dr. Martin, as I mentioned, June 29th. The service featured tributary comments from family, friends, and CRI personnel. It was a service that honored Walter, yet also brought great glory to his beloved sa- Savior. A highlight of the service was when Darlene Martin, Walter's wife, shared her thoughts with the congregation. Her comforting words are recorded below. She said, "On behalf of my family and myself, I want to thank you all so much for being here at the homegoing and celebration of Walter Martin. I awakened early Monday morning to find that he was not in bed. I went to the next room to see if he was okay. I found Walt on his knees there." My thoughts were, can you just say amen and come back to bed? But after gently touching him on his shoulder and calling his name, I realized he was no longer here, but in the presence of the Lord. Walt was often up in the middle of the night, and I was many times awakened to the sounds of his praying quietly or reading the scriptures in the next room, or jotting down notes for a sermon or a new book he would like to write. He loved the Lord with everything that was in him. It was his life. There was no gray areas when it came to the truths of the gospel, a stance which, which cost him much by earthly standards. But he did not live by earthly standards. His role model was Jesus Christ. His constant desire was to be more like him and to do his father's will. God put him where he wanted him to be, and he took him home in his time. Walt had been in the battle for almost 40 years. He had fought the good fight. He had run the course. And now is laid up for him the crown of glory. We shall all miss him greatly. But his rest is well earned. He is praising the Lord now in his presence. And I'm sure that the Lord has taken him by the hand and said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We who are left will continue to struggle, to win the fight, to run the course. God has set before us to endure until he comes again or calls us home. We must continue to build on the foundation Walt has laid, never wavering from the truth of the gospel, never compromising for the sake of popularity or position. Would you just think with me for a second? This is his wife talking. His wife knew what he was about. Walt was constantly aware and grateful to the Lord for what the Lord had done for him and the avenues of service the Lord had made available to him. My prayer is that we would all be inspired by this man's life and ministry to earnestly contend for the faith as he had so vigorously done all the years that the Lord had given to him. She closes, God's richest blessing on each of you. May He give us strength to fight the good fight. And as Walt had often said, I've got good news for you. I've read, read the end of the book, and we win. <laughs> Praise God. Hey, folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to livingtruthradio.org. LivingTruthRadio.org, and in the contact form, let us know that you're listening. Let us know who you are, what station you listen on, how the programs impacted your life, and even how we can pray for you. That'd be a great blessing to us. And if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners, to say, "Hey, Pastor Michael, this is how the programs impacted me," and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners. So that'd be a blessing to us. Go to LivingTruthRadio.org in the contact form. Just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast. And we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Living Truth Radio is an extension of Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in the city of Corona. If you live in Southern California and you're anywhere near the Inland Empire, on Sundays we have two services at 9 and 11.15. We have a lot of things going on for the kids and teenagers. You can find out all that you'd want to know at livingtruthradio.org. This is a listener-supported ministry. Radio airtime is often very expensive. And we know that the ministry is making an impact, but we could use more partners to partner with us in this ministry endeavor. If you've been blessed by this program and you can help us out, please keep praying for us. But you can give by going to the radio website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the Donate tab and make sure whatever you give is for radio ministry. Thank you for listening to today's program.